Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. If you're joining us for the first time, please check out the wonderful artists we have already interviewed on season one and two with featured artists such as our fantastic technical producer, Artie Kubishki. If you're an old-time listener, welcome back. Excited to introduce you to Season 3, Episode 1. Give us a follow at AP Studio BK on Instagram and TikTok for more updates regarding how to attend our monthly apartment party or how to become a featured artist either on the podcast or at an apartment party upcoming. Hud Oberly joins us today. He is the founder and creative director of the fashion brand Here's to You. Born and raised in Norman, Oklahoma, he comes from the Osage, Caddo, and Comanche nations of Oklahoma. He received his bachelor's in advertising from University of Colorado at Boulder. Postgrad, he spent three years in LA working for the Indigenous program at the Sundance Film Institute and as the creative director for the Indigenous streetwear brand Urban Native Era. His summer 22 launch of his own brand, Here's to You, has been a massive success with the brand selling out in only three hours. This month, he will be the featured visual artist at Apartment Party. Reach out to us on AP Studio BK on Instagram and TikTok to find out how to attend. Welcome, HUD, into the studio today. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm I'm so excited. Our season three (laughs) opener. I'm very happy to have you. I don't feel the pressure yet. So that's good. There's no pressure. (laughs) There's literally no pressure. I wanted to have you on because, well, number one, the way that we met was great. I feel like you did like a shout out to me and to here. Shout out to to Tahir McKenzie, our season two closer. Mm -hmm. Absolute fucking amazing person. (laughs) And you did like a shout out to us and we grabbed coffee and it was just like boom, 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 boom. A lot of good like stuff to talk about. That and like, I mean, something I've thought about, you know, just coming into this podcast is like, me recently moving here i mean there's more to the story than me posting all my story like just the whole like theory i have of like getting into a new city and like researching like what are other people doing here and then i come across y'all and then came to be where i'm at right now in this spot on this couch yeah no i i feel i've had a couple of friends who've been like i found you via the podcast and that Mm -hmm. is like such a fucking honor yeah and i agree that like there's this mentality when you move somewhere new that I see some people come with that is like not adapting to that space. And I definitely Mm -hmm. see you as having like very much adapted to this space and also coming with a lot of intention. And I guess the mindset that like apartment party was forming under and yeah, so I'm super happy that you're here. No, yeah. Intention is definitely something I was like the key word I described how I've come about like moving here and like where I've gotten to like the people I've met and everything. Definitely. So after my kind of canned intro, can you introduce yourself to our audience kind of in your own words? Yeah, so my name is Hud Oberly. Hud is short for Hudiba, which is my Caddo name. As Miller mentioned, I'm Osage Caddo and Comanche from Oklahoma. Hudiba means someone you look up to, so working towards that every day. Yeah, that's a great goal. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I'm from Oklahoma. I'm a fashion designer. I feel like there's somewhat of a thread of being in the art world and creativity. Like I've worked in, you know, creative fields in the support side and development, Mm -hmm. but even further back, like when I was a kid, I always loved drawing, always loved playing with these little shapes. Like I just posted on my Instagram story of me as a kid, this very symmetrical design of these 
playing blocks. Interesting. Um, she's the reason why I'm like so observant and like attention detail. Like I owe so much to her and like how I am now. But one thing she says is that she wished she would have developed that creative side in me mm. when I was growing up. Because like I would take some art classes, but like I was very heavy into sports. So it was a lot of sports stuff. And then I think just following like a traditional following a path of a job that makes money, you know, the stereotype. Quote unquote, yeah, yeah. So it all came back. Like I've heard people say like, if you're a creative, the creativity will always find you. 100%. So that's what's gotten to me to be like a fashion designer now, like sewing all the clothes. Like I love making the clothes and there's a side of it where like you know you design the clothes and you have a manufacturer and they like send you the samples you let them know notes and they send you the bulk but I love making it with my hands like I love actually making the piece we talked about that some with like here a little bit and just sort of this like sense of accomplishment of having like created something from vision to actuality and mm-hmm. having it be sort of this like utility piece. I know that that's something you're really focused on mm-hmm. to hear. And I were talking a lot about sort of the utility of fashion and denim and specifics. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you talk about shapes because even just in the few designs that you've shown me or that you've right. launched, like shape is super important. So kind of going back to those early days growing up, your art and family. Mm-hmm. Like, how is this? I know you just said that your mom wished that she'd kind of nurtured that a little bit more, but it sounds like it was very, like, naturally part of who you were. Yeah, and I think the way it kind of stuck with me is maybe the way that I thought I would always maybe think a little more creatively and maybe deeper to, like, find a solution. You know, as you mentioned, like, I studied advertising. So, like, I always saw that as, like, I'm trying to figure out a way to, like, get the consumer customer to think a certain way about this product like it was very literal you know in college like it's about cpgs like consumer packaged goods not so much about maybe like something less literal but finding creative ways to like get people to just interact with content or interact with the product thinking create creatively was what stuck with me from like those early days of like playing with shapes to like getting me to now sticking with me yeah it sounds like creating a piece for you that is like usable in a way that is creatively sparking Mm -hmm. is important am i wrong in saying so i think that's right but i think what it is is like communicating a message like getting point a to point b of like communicating a message and being direct about it but even you know like maybe sometimes you don't have to be direct and like you figure out a way for someone else that like receives messages differently everyone's different so like everyone is gonna have a certain perspective on what you say and what you communicate and that's like communication is something I've always preached like ever since I really realized that it can be a prohibitor of like progression right um anytime someone asks me like in my previous job like what's your biggest piece of advice for me if i'm trying to do what you do Mm -hmm. and i always always say like hone in on communication because like you're always going to be communicating either with like a team member or something and you want to make sure they understand what you're saying for them to do what you want them to do or whatever so that you can be more efficient in getting to your goal meet your timeline do whatever so communication that's like my number one priority and like now it's funny because I work in a studio like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and I'm there by myself. Yeah. And like no windows, like I don't communicate, but like I write and kind of what back to to Tahir's episode, he was talking about pattern making. And so I'm making tech packs. So like I make a tech pack for like these vests or uh, sweaters I make where like it's step by step, step one, part A, step one, part B, like every step, like I want 
a dog to be able to make that garment from my instructions. Very cool. Like that literal and like so make sure be, everything's communicated. Would you be like selling those at some point to expand this brand or would you be selling it to someone like to create their own? Yes, that's a strategy. Like there are people that I follow on social media that they sell their patterns and their tech packs and gotcha. like they tell people how to make it. And then even larger brands like high fashion brands like Margella, they did one during the pandemic. They had the instructions on how to make oh, something like I don't at home think I think of that as like such a like I remember when I was a kid me and my mom would do pattern dresses or whatever mm-hmm. and I think her mom did a lot of that as well but like I think of that as being I guess less of like a high fashion thing I don't know why <laughs> like that's more of like a homemade thing yeah. but that's that's so cool to have that creative control yeah and I think what you did was you ordered the material mm. and they sent it to you and then there was like instructions on how to make it but it, i mean i'm assuming it was like higher quality, quality fabrics right. and like all that stuff so yeah. yeah interesting but you could just like straight up take the pattern and make it however you want mm-hmm. make your own little adjustments and then can technically call it yours <laughs> in the past decade there's been increasing awareness of the pitfalls of fast fashion you might remember we touched on it a little bit last season on the episode with tahir mckenzie The 2013 garment factory collapse in Bangladesh that killed more than a thousand people brought attention to exploitative practices of many big brands. Google Trends data show that around the time the search term sewing classes near me took off. The mask shortage in spring 2020 caused local governments and news organizations to post patterns for face masks. With the general feeling of hopelessness, Making masks was a good way to feel like you were helping fight COVID. Now there are tons of millennial and Gen Z sewists. There are Instagrams, Pinterest pages, Facebook communities, and Etsy shops dedicated to sharing or selling patterns, many with options for a variety of body types. I mean, I feel like Tahir and I were talking about that a lot as like kind of a lost art a little bit. Well, just because like the streamlining of things and people, you know, trying to be efficient with their time. There's plenty of, not a necessarily negative connotation, but middlemen that will do certain things for you. So you can work on other stuff if you want. Yeah. I really like the idea of learning how to do a craft. Yeah. So early on, it sounds like there were some of these like predilections, I guess, but, (laughs) but so you sort of like in later childhood, early adulthood were more like in sports and a little bit less maybe connected to this like creative side. Yeah, definitely. I played basketball in high school and then did some intramurals in college, but I didn't like take on the creative stuff when I was in college by myself either. So yeah. It all kind of came about after that. Okay. So after that being after college, Mm -hmm. how did you kind of manage to get back to that side of your life? I don't know if I really specifically tried to find it. I guess it kind of found me. Like I said, like it always, if you're creative, you'll come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So after college, I got a job with Sundance Film Institute working in their indigenous program. So that, I mean, that came about and it happened to be art, you know, film. And I was a coordinator, which is kind of like the lower level, but is like half assistant, half like reading scripts, watching rough cuts Mm. and that stuff. But I got to see, well, I attribute a lot of that, the skills I learned as far as like planning and like scheduling, like being an admin and assistant, I find that like super valuable to me now, like especially running the business on my own, Mm -hmm. being able to like create timelines and I handled the budget there. So like budgeting, 
um, there was a lot of flights to book, like, and I don't really fly now, but, um, <laughs> but a lot of those Jet admin things, <laughs> yeah, Taylor Swift vibes. And so I was interacting with artists and like their creative processes and like really learning in film, especially in short films, every scene has to matter. And every like piece of jewelry you put on someone has to matter. There has to be a reason and intention behind that. So and I think I already had a, a great attention to detail, Okay, but it was even furthered from like learning about film and like the behind the scenes creative process of that. And so I was there and it's funny enough, the main reason I left that job was because I didn't feel like I had any creative decision-making mm, Interesting. Um, because I mean, you know, paying my dues, I was a coordinator, like that's right. how it goes. Right. But uh, what a, what a great way to like, kind of like you were saying, get practice at coming up with these like timelines. Cause I feel like, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of creatives that I talk to, they're like, damn, I just, I lack like that side of it. Or like, I really don't like the social media side of it. You have to be like pretty three dimensional as a person in order to create, promote and sustain yeah. your own business. Yeah. I so think... it sounds like a good kind of background in that. Totally. And like the organization side, Sundance is like a well-oiled machine. Right. Of like they've been around, you know, doing things for 40 years. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. And so like, it's like a machine. And so like that organization is also what I've carried over. Like, like you say, like some creators may not have the organization or whatever. And like, let's say I have like two collections I'm working on, one mm -hmm. early stage, one later stage. I'll have like check-ins with myself titled like collection this check-in collection that check-in i have that with myself i go through every like timeline and to-do item i need your help <laughs> and what i think is like important too like aside from here's to you in the business is i have a check-in with myself mm -hmm. and i have it titled hmfo okay. hud motherfucking oberly check-in <laughs> and so that one kind of gets pushed to the side if i run out of time but i try to gotcha. do that one because it helps me like put things into words. I type in notes and I make those a different color from the agenda items. And I check in with myself, even just like who I hung out with that week, what I did, what I feel like, how I was like going to the gym, how I was mm -hmm. eating, like going out, like it's just very helpful for me to put those things into words and put it down and think about those after the fact. I actually started this in 2019. I write down a thing that I did every day, mm. whether it like inspired me or brought me joy, you know, whether it's just like getting dinner with a friend or going to see a, a new show. And it's been really nice because I feel like just being able to look back and be like, I wasn't doing that well at th this time, but like mm -hmm. I'm doing better now. Exactly. Or, you know, just seeing, I do think that checking in with yourself is a really important step. I feel like I've talked to several people about that recently, mm -hmm. about having that sort of kindness. And I know we keep coming back to this word, but intention with yourself. Like to hear, and I mentioned this a lot, I'm sorry to keep coming back to this episode, <laughs> but like about being like, wow, I'm succeeding or yeah. I am successful right. or like when I thought I wasn't, I actually was. But wow, I love, I love your, what's the word I'm looking for? You are very... I feel like regimented has a negative connotation, but you're very like regimented about how you deal with yourself, yeah. which is impressive. I feel like maybe I, I feel like maybe starting season three, this is the first time that I feel like prepared for the season as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that's very exciting, like coming into this for me, but wow. Okay. I want to take it, take it back. <laughs> There's a few points. Okay. Um, so early on you graduated college. How did you like your experience there? How did you find the advertising in Colorado? I loved it. Like, yeah, I, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, I never felt like, like, I think I was, you know, brought up like 
I was grew up in Norman, Oklahoma, which is where the University of Oklahoma is, like massive football, sports school. Right. And like I love college football to this day. Like college football season just started yesterday and I was like in my studio watching it, like having the background TV. I I say I Google fied my studio, so now that like everything I ever need is like in my studio, there's no reason to leave. Like how Google does their <laughs> workspaces. Your, yeah. Um and I got a mini fridge in there too. So oh, yeah. shit. you're ne- you never have to leave those twelve <laughs> yeah. hour days. <laughs> yeah. So growing up like my whole family outside, even outside my parents, like thought I was going to go to OU. Okay. I mean, ever since like high school, I was like, I don't necessarily want to stay in Oklahoma. Right. And I wanted to like, ideally, I wanted to get to LA and California, I think very heavily influenced by like media and like pop culture and social media popping up. LA is a, bl- a good place yeah. to be. I did end up there, which is like cool to like accomplish that goal. Mm-hmm. But I ended up going to school in Colorado and like it was a big school, like sports wise which I liked and I wanted that big school feel probably like relates to why I like living in like places like LA and New York like the anonymity yeah oh yeah for sure that just the like I think like just getting to know different people like Oklahoma is very insulated and then even like the term Indian country the indigenous community Native American community in Oklahoma is even more insulated of course so yeah loved Colorado I just like had a great time I had to like Boulder's beautiful yeah I think I had a very like I tried to strive for that college experience, you know, mm-hmm. like the social life. And I figured I mastered how much effort I could put into school to get good grades. And then like <laughs> everything else was partying and like yeah. all that crazy stuff. But like I was a student ambassador. So like the tour guides on campus and like oh. that was fun. Like I love talking to parents and like all that stuff. But yeah, I love I mean, I love college. Honestly, the past couple of years is the first time I've started to like really separate that time of my life mm-hmm. just because I loved it so much. And then when I moved to LA, there was a lot of college friends out there that I lived with, but, um, and remind me, sorry, it. if you are okay saying how old you are. Yeah. 28. Okay. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that Leo is... season yes. or Leo, no, it's over now, but Leo gang, <laughs> I, know, we're in, I guess by the time this comes out, we'll be in Virgo season. Uh, we'll just call it Leo we'll just, season. We'll too. just call it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I know I'm like, Oh, I love Leo season. I literally like first week of Leo season felt full on manic. I was like, let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say it too. Cause like, I know it like incites reactions in the astrology people, but like I'm a triple Leo. So like <sighs> my big three are, yeah. Rising moon, sun, all okay. Leo. Yeah. Mine are all fire signs. So yeah. it's like sim- similar vibes where uh-huh. I'm just like, <laughs> we're both jacked up. <laughs> Artie's looking at us like we're crazy. <laughs> As our resident Sagittarius? Yeah, I feel like I definitely can relate to putting in the effort to get the good grades. Mm -hmm. Professors always liked me because I was communicative. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying earlier, I was like approachable. I was, you know. I showed up. Like you show up, you get like C's at least they say. Yeah, yeah. like show up and participate. I mean, like I wouldn't always read the book, but I was there (laughs) spouting some bullshit about it. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, definitely like wanted the college experience. Yeah. So I can very much relate to that. Uh, and like what I value a lot of like college is like this intangibles of like just becoming an adult. Like right. in advertising, it's like all presentations, not a lot of tests. So like oh. public speaking and you work in groups a lot, like all those social like intangibles that I think I think may get lost and like what's the actual value of college. I value college probably maybe the most because of those intangibles you get like learning how to interact with people. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was like homeschooled. So there were some like mm-hmm. definite differences in kind of my upbringing versus like my fellow students. So there was, I was lucky because I had a lot of freedom and my parents really trusted me. So mm-hmm. there was like going in, I'd be like, oh, wow, you've like never been out of your, <laughs> un- from under your parents' thumb and uh-huh. like kind of seeing that and being able to like, totally. I don't know, help people. I don't want to say like, I was like a mentor or anything, <laughs> but like, you know, just be like, it's okay. You don't have yeah. to go so crazy. <laughs> Push them out there a little bit yeah. outside the nest. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Like when I was doing like more of the directing stuff, I was very similar. I like that you put it as untangibles because like I do feel like there's this academic side of school that obviously is very important, especially depending on like your field. Mm-hmm. But there are those goals of like, I feel comfortable speaking in front of a group or Mm -hmm. like speaking to my own thoughts or, you know, whatever those things are going forward. Mm -hmm. So what was the shift then like for you? Because you moved directly, you went home for a little bit and then Mm -hmm. went to LA. So what was that like? I kind of did something similar. So like, what was, what was that shift like for yourself? Well, it's interesting because I think I went, just went through it again because like you said, I graduated from Boulder, went home for a year and then Sundance job was in LA. And then just recently I left LA, was home for about five months and then ended up out here. Mm. But it's, it's always interesting because like circular. Yeah. It's interesting because I love, literally love my parents so much and like some really close relatives I have there, but Oklahoma, I just like, and I, I feel so strongly about it. It's not where I am supposed to be or thrive. Like I almost feel like I'm like betraying myself when I'm there for too long because I have such this need and like desire to just go out and experience everything I can yeah see what else is out there see how other people live and like I said Oklahoma is so insulated I feel that strongly about like I just need to get out and like see what else is out there and like all that stuff so I get to a point like at some point I'm like I gotta get out of here yeah (laughs) but yeah so like you know kind of easy choice to get out to LA after a year there but it's good like I yeah did you move there because of the job or because of friends or was LA it just or... like, that's a destination? LA was definitely for the job, but okay. I was trying to get out there. But yeah, I was hired by Sundance when I was still in Oklahoma. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. Oh man. I mean, like <laughs> being able to move somewhere with an opportunity like that is just so awesome. Sundance created their native lab to support indigenous filmmakers in 2004. The goal is to connect fellows to mentors who can support their writing, directing, and technical skills. According to Sundance, the cycle of work begins by scouting for and identifying Indigenous artists, providing a year-round support system at Sundance Institute to get their work made and shown, and then bringing the filmmakers and their work back to Native lands. This year, they're doing an Indigenous short film tour that features six shorts by alums of the program and picks from the 2022 Sundance Film Festival. So you were kind of starting in this, I guess, more like administrative role. Yeah, Um, I mean, nonprofit art, like it's, I think there's a spectrum of like admin assistant. Like I got to travel a lot. Like I went to Toronto for the Imaginative Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It's an all indigenous film festival. I went there oh, like wow. two years in a row. I was the sole representative from Sundance at this Maori Land Film Festival in New Zealand. Such a bucket list place. Yeah. Was it amazing? It was awesome. And I was like, you know, I was, I was there for probably 
four or five days. Okay. It was in this small beach town called Otaki. Cool. So I got to, you know, be there for a while. I wish I would have taken like a day or two of PTO mm. and like done my own thing, but I came straight back. But it was like an amazing experience. So like that's a different admin job from some other people. Definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, that's amazing. So then what was the shift like then working for Urban Native Era? So yeah, like I said, I didn't feel like I had creative decision making at Sundance. Mm -hmm. And there was, you know, like some things like you had to have a master's degree to move to this certain position. And I didn't want to do that. So like there (laughs) wasn't weren't many options for me to like stay there and move move up. up. Yeah. So an opportunity came up with Urban Native Era, which it's its own like happenstance, happen chance story, Mm kind of like New York, like me moving here. But I was brought on and immediately made creative director. Oh, wow. So with like, didn't have any experience in, I I wanted to get into fashion and cloth making. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I had no idea like what to do. I I was probably going to eventually start my own if that didn't come up, but started doing that. So I left Sundance March 2nd of 2020 and like oh, <laughs> shit. and like our first thing with Urban Native Era was a like live in-person event on March like 12th oh Jesus Christ <laughs> and so, like, so, I, I don't I, yeah. cause LA was a few weeks behind New York I feel like really? in terms of like the I numbers I, I just remember oh like, yeah I think so that. for us I feel like March 13th 14th was like the last day of the, anything I mean that that was similar so we yeah. had that event planned and we had like 600 RSVPs on Eventbrite and there was people coming from Phoenix coming from San Francisco like Nevada and we had to call it off like two days before (gasps) and then we we turned it into because we had like a down payment on the venue oh shit! so we turned it into like a live radio show and we hosted a show for like seven hours literally seven hours straight wow that's a great like flip it though well that yeah that's the thing like I think being very Open to change, adaptive. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. like when I first started that job and even right now, like with Here's to You, like I have an idea of where I want the brand to go, but Mm -hmm. I'm also very open to like pivoting, changing fast. When I'm here for the apartment party September, like I want to be testing things and see what people like. Well, especially in early stages, that's a time to really get a feel for like what people see you as and where you want to go please i mean that's one of the things that i found at apartment party on is like bring like new work bring unfinished work yeah like, and like it's people are seeing it live versus putting it on social media where there's right. a lot of like context lost you can change here well and just like i know i've kind of discussed this maybe a couple different times with a few different guests is that there's just something so different from experiencing anything whether it's a product or a show online versus we're just fed images and videos Mm -hmm. so constantly that it just they really like begin to lack value Mm -hmm. so i really do think it was interesting carrie blue shout out he was on season one he just did his Empire State Music and Arts Festival, which Apartment Party was a part of for Mm -hmm. one of the nights. And um, he hosted a panel and they were talking about so much, like everyone on the panel was kind of creative, but also sort of in the position where you are in, where they're creating but also managing mm-hmm. and, you know, being a business as well. And they were talking a lot about getting offline, getting in person with mm. people uh-huh. to continue like community growth rather than like super paying attention to like just the numbers mm-hmm. online, you know? Yeah. I feel like one connection in person is more valuable than like 20 connections online. Mm-hmm. It, and like what those connections are, like if it's, 
depending on the artistry, like the art, is it being evaluated for art or as a product? So, right. You know. Right. And I think you kind of have some cool crossover in mm-hmm. here's to you. So back to Urban Native, and I do want to get a little bit more into your brand mm-hmm. later, but tell our audience, like, what are a few goals that you met, maybe either personally or like for the brand learning curve and that kind of stuff being mm-hmm. a new creative director? True. I mean, yeah, that's a good question. I'd say, I mean, one of the things I'm very proud of with my time there is like bringing that like well-oiled machine structure of Sundance to like this small business. Yeah, small business. business. Like that even seeing the value of how that helped out was like very cool to see. And I think, you know, some industries obviously took a massive hit with the pandemic and then Mm -hmm. you know some like e-commerce a lot of stuff really boomed yeah i was gonna ask yeah so we had like a lot of growth in 2020 2021 and being able so i was the first like employee and definitely full-time employee of the brand outside of joy montoya the owner right so just being able to double the productivity and like everything we were trying to accomplish like at the time of the pandemic hitting where everyone's online and like just seeing content and fat like e-commerce stuff just was massive but like what i value most about that experience with urban native era is like just the experience of learning about cloth making Mm -hmm. so like Like, specific ins and outs yeah what to do what not to do making mistake here i'm having a success there like all that stuff is what helps me to be doing what i am doing now so that's like the greatest accomplishment for me was just like learning yeah that's huge yeah. i mean i feel like i've talked about this a few times with like day briere who i think you've met mm-hmm. um now and a few other people about kind of i went to school for a degree that i basically don't use anymore mm. you know and which is <laughs> like i know day and i were talking a lot about like crafting art versus like fine art and how it has been like quote unquote like undervalued mm-hmm. as an art form and i see that changing and I see that changing just in like since the year ago conversation that I had with Day like some of that fine art and also like I know you spoke a little bit in your questionnaire kind of about like a residency or like some of those Mm -hmm. opportunities becoming more available that aren't based on like getting a master's or going you know going back to school necessarily but are like based around fine-tuning your craft Mm -hmm. so I think that's super valuable especially to be like learning it on the job yeah I mean that's essentially (laughs) what I'm doing now too like I taught my like started teaching myself how to sew just in January wow and so like cool the things I've made so far is like all I know how to make like I haven't made a t-shirt like from material and thread and stuff so like mm-hmm. I can make a sweater I can make a vest but I, I couldn't I don't say I couldn't make a t-shirt like something simple so like I'm just teaching myself as I go like I always say YouTube University yeah uh, my mom helped me a lot in the very beginning and oh, like that's awesome. with her sewing machine and stuff so learning by fire or thrown to the wolves or whatever mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. how I've always learned like working for Sundance like I didn't have a background in film I just like learned along the way and provided my own like unique perspective when I read something or saw something cool that's amazing yeah I mean sorry no no but no. I think it's important because like to not have a pressure on yourself when you are in those scenarios like 100%. I think someone can be like like the film scenario with Sundance like have a pressure on themselves to provide some type of, you know, what they think should be communicated about a film or a script. But Mm -hmm. like, 
no matter what it is, whether you're a newbie or a master, like your own unique perspective informs like how you think about it, which helps the person, the maker, like know how people react and like receive it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I yeah. think that, and that kind of comes back to what you were saying about working on communication mm. and like how your communication is perceived or received by others. I do think that needing to be understood is like something that I really struggle with, like mm-hmm. wanting to be understood for like my true intentions, I guess, is like something that I really value. Like if someone is like, oh, I understand you and like can say it back to me, like the what, you know, what we've been talking <laughs> yeah. about, I'm like, oh, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I can definitely see that as being like a huge value, especially when you're working towards, I guess when you're working towards a product that you hope informs someone's life to be better Mm -hmm. like a utility Uh, yeah exactly exactly so so then so you were working with urban native era and kind of gathering all this like base knowledge which is so exciting and and i know that your move here was kind of like on another kind of whim (laughs) yeah it was it's insane like (laughs) it's insane how just things come about and like i've had a friend say which I, i mean i don't know what this is like maybe just an open mind like I'm open to things but like they always say like you kind of just let life come to you and it not pushing yeah like I like I value that yeah and like if I feel a certain way negatively like I am once I know I know and like Mm -hmm. then it's time to move you know but yeah so I we're going into the New York story time yeah okay cool (laughs) tell me (laughs) um so yeah I moved back home for about five months and my plan was to move back to LA gotcha one of my family members was like dealing with some health issues and I wanted to be back and help them out. So I did that and everything like worked out 10 times like what we were expecting. So it was like really like great to have that happen. But I was going to say your family's so cute. Like you (laughs) posted about, I think it was, was it your grandmother and your mother who were visiting recently? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The pictures (laughs) were just so sweet. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love like sharing about them. And, um, but yeah, so I was home And like I said, I was planning to move back to LA. Like, honestly, I still have a storage unit out there with my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Paying monthly rent on that. Oh, shit. Um, But I was just like scrolling my like Instagram feed, like in my bed, like right before bed. And one of my friends posted that they're looking for a sublease, that they're looking for someone to take over their apartment for the summer. And like the picture was like the room and there was like a really small balcony like attached to it. And Mm -hmm. I was like damn that looks cool like there was no price or anything and I always like liked New York had you visited before yeah, yeah like I was the, thinking so last September I was here for three weeks for mm. fashion week so oh, cool. I kind of got the feel of like living here was that through urban native yeah. era okay cool I was in midtown Times Square area so like very different from where <laughs> I live now in Brooklyn but yeah. I had the kind of the experience of being here for a long period of time yeah so I was just like you know I'm gonna see you like I'm just gonna let them know I'm interested and in, like at that moment of messaging them, I was like messaging them like aligns with like how I want to like live, you know, like mm-hmm. something comes up and it aligns and I want to do it. Like I want to see if it'll work out. Yeah. So, you know, I did some FaceTimes with the other roommates and ended up working out and that was like late March. And then I was going to move in like April 28th, which wasn't much time. Um, yeah, it's like a quick. month, but like, yeah. And then. So those photos of uh, my econ, my mom, were of us like when they helped move me out Aww. out here because we drove, we ended up driving. So like, because 
my eco had never been to New York or Brooklyn at all. So <gasps> that's why we decided to drive. So yeah, I ended up out here and like, I mean, it's been a hard, fast, like few months and it's been amazing. Like, yeah. So grateful to you for like oh just the God, things we've interacted with over and like the sense of community, even though, you know, I've been to like a couple events and mm-hmm. we've talked and chatted, but like just the comfort of knowing that there's like people like you and like organize these type of events and community, like it's so helpful for someone like me, like just coming in here and like, I don't know, trying to figure it out. I mean, that's really like why I started forming this uh, kind of because it is, I feel like the first two years of me being here were kind of chaos in terms Mm -hmm. of like trying to find those things. And when I said, okay, I'm not finding them, I'm going to create them like that really was a big shift for me. But I love, I mean, I think the ability to stay like really flexible and to not build like your whole identity about where you live or like Mm -hmm. what you do because it sounds like that's been pretty like flexible for your life career as Mm -hmm. well because we just like planning can make us feel better in the long term but like you never know yeah exactly (laughs) like I I think you know in the questionnaire I laid out like kind of my goals what I want for here's to you but like I'm aware that like those may not happen like it's just a plan like I could pivot and do whatever you know in a month, you know? And I think I've sort of had, I know I've talked with like H and Artie and Tucker kind of all about sort of like plans for, for this podcast. And last year I really wanted to do eight episodes and ended up just doing seven. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was the kind of the only person who knew I was going to do eight episodes. So uh-huh. like just rounding <laughs> it on seven is like, yeah, fine. <laughs> totally. Well, that's, it's so funny. Cause like, I think about that too, for here's to you. Cause like I have these long-term plans, but I have to like, think like, people have only seen this one sweater I've released so far. They have no idea about like what I'm releasing in November. That's kind of more the niche and the the branding I want to have for Mm -hmm. the brand. But like it's being conscious and like being aware of how other people, the information that they have so far. Right. And like, or that they don't have in like, they don't know that you wanted to do eight episodes. Yeah. Like, like, and they're only seeing the the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this, it's the same way and kind of being like kind with yourself and saying like, wow, I really succeeded in doing like, seven episodes that I feel really excited Mm -hmm. about or like you feel you know very excited about your sweatshirt and like sold out so quick and like (laughs) yeah love that yeah I mean it's been a great like I was actually that kind of brings me into um, my next question which was through the advertising and just through watching you promote online and your business sense and branding and creation how do these all align when you're working especially like when it comes to here's to you your new brand so like how are those three factions working together so yeah i mean all those skills you know were learned along the way Mm -hmm. but with here's to you like i originally had this other brand name in mind okay decided to not do that and I was like, I think it leads back to me like wanting to sew and like get things going. I was like, I need a name. <laughs> I want to start sewing. And so I can have like the path, I, what I'm going to make. Right. And so I was hanging out with my eco that day that I like decided to nix the other brand name. I was like asking her like, what's a, like, what's a cool word? Like what's something that just comes to mind? Cause I like, I like getting inspiration from everywhere. Like mm-hmm. my eco, like she doesn't study advertising. She doesn't know like branding. <laughs> like, so I was just like, what's, what's a cool like phrase. And she was like, here's to looking at you, which is a line from Casablanca. Right. I was going to ask if that was an inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, I played, I wrote it down. I had some other things that I thought of. I wrote it down and like, I was looking at him playing with it and I was like, here's to you. I like here's to you. That was really, I like that. Cause like 
here's to looking at you. I was like, do you mean here's to you? Cause like, I've never heard that phrase. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, I just like kind of went with here's to you and then had no idea like the kind of creative utility stuff I want to do in mind. And I, I just started like playing around on Adobe Illustrator and just like making like, what would be a cool garment? And I ended up mocking up this short sleeve button down with like some pockets. And I was like, that'd be cool. Like if this was like specifically geared towards like a painter Mm. or like something specific to a craft. So then it kind of built from that. The sweater I released is like a total, like I was down the tunnel too far, (laughs) (laughs) but I love it. Like, no, I think it's a great like first statement piece. Oh yeah. And like, it was a great, maybe back to your original question. Yeah. (laughs) What was nice about that sweater that I launched was that it was so like intricate and like how it had to be made. Like it's made from wool with felt, with felt like front, like designs on it, letters and words and circles and stuff. But it was like perfect for a launch because I got to show like the behind the scenes of how I make it versus like if I launched with like a t-shirt blank that I screen printed on, it'd be like, it wouldn't be the same. Right. It's a little bit like known. Yeah. And like, now here's to you has a branding of like oh he's making these actually like right. showing them showing the process i think is like really kind of can set you apart i know we were talking about like being oversaturated online and stuff mm-hmm. and i feel like that can definitely set you apart and i think that's what i saw like mm-hmm. and the way that the fact that you had a lot of different people wearing it it's styled a lot of different yeah. ways like totally and like i think what's i'm trying to focus on now through some content like on my personal stuff is like i want to show that i'm I'm not an expert in like Mm -hmm. seamstress, like sewing, like I want to show at least I'm, I'm trying to start it, like start back up my YouTube vlogs where like I'm watching YouTube videos of me, like when I get stuck. So like documenting that I'm, I'm learning, like I'm not like, I'm not, I don't have this massive skill yet. Like I'm just going about it. And, you know, maybe, you know, some people are scared to jump into something when they don't feel like they have this certain level of knowledge, but like, you know, I want to show them you don't have to have that. I feel like it comes, I see that a lot with like, um, learning a language, like learning mm-hmm. a new language. Like one of the, I was talking with someone recently and they were like, yeah, that's why kids, the worst part about learning a language is being embarrassed by not knowing the language mm-hmm. and like trying. And they were like, you know, obviously kids' brains are more open, wired for that, but also just like, they're not embarrassed mm-hmm. to be wrong. Well, they don't, they um, may not know that they're wrong, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that too. <laughs> I think it's lovely to show that like you're also in the weeds sometimes, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? <laughs> and it's like a journey. Like I want it to be like a community, like people are following along and a part of like seeing me when I was trying to make this sweater. And then like later down the line, it's like, there's like a story to it, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the brand. Do you, and I kind of wanted to get to this too, like with learning this stuff, do you have any mentors like in the field or this, is this more like you said, just YouTube university kind of trial by error? mostly that as much as I'm like (laughs) open and like kind of gung-ho about going after what I want to accomplish like Mm -hmm. I also like never want to bother anybody (laughs) so like (laughs) (laughs) so like like, if you want to or not (laughs) yeah and I'm like I don't want to inconvenience anybody especially like one of the people I look up to and is very inspirational to me is this um indigenous designer here in Brooklyn who like I've known yeah Karina Emmerich uh M Studio Karina Emmerich is the creator of Emmy Studio. Her handmade garments reflect her heritage from the Puyallup tribe of the Coast Salish Territory in the Pacific Northwest. She's focused on social and climate justice, industry responsibility, and accountability. She's a special advisor to the Slow Factory Foundation, 
which has the goal to fill the gap for climate adaption, build community power through open education, narrative change, and regenerative design. She just had a very busy year. She showed at the Indigenous Arts Festival, formerly known as the Toronto Indigenous Fashion Week. Uh, That was in June. And then she just did an amazing show for the Santa Fe Indian Market, um, which is two weekends ago. Yeah. Um, So she's like just been going off like and so she makes everything made to order. Mm. So she's the one sewing and like all that stuff. So she's very inspirational to me, like what she's done and especially like in the past few years that we've known about each other and interacted first on social media but then once I started coming to New York like hanging out and like and we're both like kind of in the same vein of like wanting to be sustainable and like very um eco-friendly that was actually like literally gonna be my next question (laughs) I was like how do you kind of grapple with that a little bit in, in that kind of work yeah I mean, I mean, back to UNE, Urban Native Era, like another shout out is Chris Allaire, who's an Ojibwe writer, editor for Vogue. He wrote an article with like, he interviewed like 15 different um, designers from indigenous streetwear brands oh, awesome. um, asking us like something about like, what's the future of sustainability in indigenous fashion or something like that. And so... In my response, I think I said something like being resourceful from idea stage to like completed product, but just being included in that article. Like I've always been like, tried to be sustainable, recycle, like mm-hmm. very, I prioritize Use that. Your scraps. <laughs> yeah. But just him asking and like including me in that was like, put me in another gear of right. like. Helped like reframe it for you. I mean. Or prioritize it, I guess. Priori- higher priority. Like at mm-hmm. that starting, I want to see like at that point. At Urban Native Era, we weren't super, like, it wasn't really in the branding. Right. But then I was like, damn, like, I was just in this article. Like, I got to follow through. Like, <laughs> like I got to, like, shit, live up negative, to it. <laughs> negative carbon footprint. Yeah, shit. like, someone's going to check the receipts later. <laughs> um, so then, like, I was kind of pushing towards, like, well, what if we use this type of, like, screen printing or um, fabric instead of what we have done before? Gotcha. And then also, like, one of my, like, proudest accomplishments there was also bringing on Chantel Ricks who is not who's like the warehouse manager and sustainability lead there wow she's amazing she had no like what a great resource yeah no fashion background she was a friend of Joey's we needed someone for help in the warehouse and I was like what if we brought on Chantel who like had uh, lived zero waste for a year or something like that Wow. and I was like that would be a cool like aspect to that we prioritize like we do value sustainability and being eco-friendly enough to like bring on a full like someone whose job title is part sustainability so doing that was like I think a really good precedent and she's like totally killed it with like the packaging stuff that they do like it's incredible awesome but yeah I mean aligning myself with people like Karina me trying to use organic fabrics like organic cotton canvas or um, even wool or certain felts that are like sustainable yeah i don't i mean to me it's not hard like today it's not hard to like include that right it does maybe cost a little more money but it's not it's not like impossible or astronomical like i'm very anti like fast fashion yeah so i'm just like i always try to figure out what i can do to be sustainable and align myself with that stuff. So going forward kind of into here's to you, um, I know we've touched on it a little bit, but could you speak to creative utility and the utility within the brand? Yeah. So 
like I mentioned, like the first sweater was like a really good learning experience, learning how to like make a sweater. Right. But um, <laughs> I'm working on kind of creating this branding around this term, phrase, whatever called creative utility, which I don't ever like to say like I'm the first ever to do anything because I don't know if that's ever true. <laughs> but like I haven't seen much talk about that in the sense of fashion. Right. Um, so... I want to make clothing that is utility for specific arts, artistries and crafts. Gotcha. And I think what my plan is for the beginning is to get it kind of being more um, across all art forms. That's kind of like the first stage I want to do. But then, and this is all like a plan. I'm not like, don't check the receipts <laughs> on this. We're not holding you to this. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I have seven episodes, <laughs> not eight. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to, ideally get to a point where I can like study a certain artist and their right. craft and figure out like, how do they use like a certain tool, like where to put it, where to put a specific like little strap to hold in a tool. Um, and even, I think it's like an endless opportunity because when I was bringing up this idea to like um, a colleague I guess I, I'm on this like education board right. and so like they're they're a lobbyist they're like do I count as a creative like kind of joking but I was like I can I'm a, I studied advertising I can turn anything into anything um, <laughs> if I can make it'd be cool to do like a one-off not necessarily like they'd wear it on Capitol Hill but mm -hmm. like a one-off of like a suit jacket with like a specific like walkie-talkie thing or business card I don't really know what right. they what they carry around on them yeah. but you know pens whatever yeah, yeah. I mean I, I feel like it'd be cool I I mean just from the like is it okay if I talk about the best yeah sure um just from the, like the the vest that you've shown like having this vest sort of template and then having it you know, like a potter's version or a painter's version or yeah. like, you know, something like that where, yeah. where you can have those specific, like, Oh, you need a, uh, you know, pocket for paintbrushes or mm -hmm. whatever, you know? Well, and that's like, it's a constant, like what I'm considering, like my master's degree, like dissertation thesis thing is mm -hmm. like also like figuring out do artists or creatives use their clothes for utility? Cause me, like a lot of the time I'll just like, if I, and especially if I know I'm not going to like, if I'm just going to the studio and going home, yeah. I'll like maybe not shower and just like wear a t-shirt and <laughs> yeah. shorts that I would like, wouldn't want to be caught seen in like at an event or whatever. But like, I don't necessarily need a ton of pockets or whatever for like sewing, but there are, I think like a large scale sculptor or something where like, they're not going to want to run to the table and get something every time every they need time. it. Yeah. So like always asking artists and which is great about apartment parties it's like a sampling thing of like <laughs> asking people like do you wear clothes specific for utility for what you do or right. like and I think like I said a lot of people probably don't they want to wear what's comfortable and they do that but it's something I always ask and like kind of my thing that I see pursuing for a long time yeah, it was interesting because I, so I work, like my day job is I work as a personal organizer and I have like all these jumpsuits and I've mm -hmm. really oh, yeah. gotten into just wearing the jumpsuits when I work because they have big pockets. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really have to, it doesn't, it looks clean and sort of put together, but also is very like utilitarian. And um, I was just working with a client who is um, a hairstylist, my hairstylist mm. actually, shout out to Carly Van Borges. <laughs> She just opened Peroxide Studio and I was helping her as sort of a barter and um, uh, she was like, yeah, that that has become something I use at the studio now because 
because I got bleach on it or like because yeah. I, you know, and so like that's something now I wear if I know I'm going to do a big bleach job that day or whatever. <laughs> right. So it's interesting. I do think, you know, I feel like once you get paint on something, it is your painting clothes mm-hmm. or like. <laughs> and that's like the thing too. Like I want these things I make, I want them to get dirty. I think that'd right. be cool. And like, fuck yeah, which is personalize it. Yeah. It's tough too, because right now, like I'm making these garments by hand and like, you got to incorporate like somewhat of a higher price than like a Carhartt thing mm-hmm. you may get kind of like I don't know wherever but even if there are a little higher price like I want people to get them dirty with like their craft I think yeah. that's dope I mean I think like I've I've fallen towards a couple brands like that that are that are more sustainable a little bit more expensive but like I wear them all the time mm-hmm. you know and because of that and like right. i'm okay with them getting messed up or or you know because i know they can kind of take it mm-hmm. that makes sense True. um very cool so so in terms of i know there were a couple things that we touched on like in the questionnaire um about sort of future plans and i don't want to hold you to anything <laughs> um but uh i know you kind of spoke to artist residency and like team and money and future plans for here's to you and also like you as a creative and and as an individual um could you sort of speak to any of those uh, hopes and dreams (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like i don't know like i said like i i like to plan i like to see like if i'm you know putting in this amount of time and this hard work like where am i actually headed towards Mm -hmm. and it's like from the beginning i've always thought it'd be cool to like have a residency program that was for creatives to kind of you know take care of a living situation or whatever and have them just be able to create create freely um one that i that's kind of like built that idea is built from is that that um maori land film festival in um new zealand they have a residency where like it's like very naturey and like they live there and like Mm -hmm. do their art and stuff which i think is cool so like i would picture like that residency being like in New York or LA with like kind of a stereotypical like loft or like something would be cool. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I I picture like a wall full of just bolts of fabric or like whatever the craft is, like having those resources. But, um, having rent paid for alone is like such a huge, I mean, that's definitely been some of something of, of one of my dreams as well is like the apartment party world having the parties that help sustain the the podcast that helps mm-hmm. sustain you know an artist residency program and like having that be part of of an eventual goal as mm-hmm. well i mean i feel like being able to provide housing for artists especially artists that aren't necessarily like based in new york mm-hmm. to be able to come and show their work in new york yeah um is is huge yeah and that's like you know, like I said, like that's something like the residency they're talking about has been on my mind since the beginning. And so it's funny. I feel like I'm divulging a lot, these future <laughs> plans and stuff. But when I established the business in Oklahoma, it's officially established as here's to you creative house. Oh, so I was like cool. kind of built that off of like fashion houses, quote mm-hmm. unquote, but like it's all based in creativity and it allows me room to pivot from fashion. If I did ever want to get away from it or explore something say, else, like you could, yeah. you could, be a painter one day or yeah. what, you know yeah and and so like that leaves room for like the artist's residency to be under this here's to your creative house so cool yeah cool and then i guess like um what are some some immediate goals that you're hoping to accomplish um i'm so stoked about um the release i'm thinking it's looking like early november Ooh. um really like 
what I like consider like when I put in those check-ins and stuff Mm -hmm. is like what I'm like jabbing the stake in the ground of like I'm jabbing the stake of creative utility in that release and like kind of like an idea of like a blank canvas and um you can always have access like start over and like clean slate blank canvas type of thing yeah um so i'm really stoked for that like i said early november um i'm yeah i'm stoked for apartment party yeah Um, september 18th (laughs) yeah well the day this is released i know yeah you'll be able to listen to this in the morning and then come see hud yeah hopefully persuaded you to come um so yeah i mean those are like the immediate things um yeah i think that's great yeah um i appreciate you sharing so much today i am gonna ask you just one more question and i know we've talked about it a little (laughs) bit but um i haven't heard it you haven't heard it no it's it's, it's coming out to a blank um So just a little bit of context for people who haven't listened before or, and I apologize to those who have, this is going to be a little bit of a recap. Season one had a thesis question of what does joy look like in a community setting going forward? This question was formed at the end of 2020 and sort of something that I went into this podcast thinking about community and uh, uh, joy felt very like foreign at that time. We were still depths of the pandemic. And second, the biggest questions uh, or the biggest answers that came out of that question were the need for support. So that formed the question for the second season, which what methods of community support inspire you, which was kind of like I said earlier, a little bit of a broad statement and it, it garnered a lot of different responses. And so when forming this question, I was kind of trying to decide which direction to go in. <laughs> so I decided to go a little bit more political. It's <laughs> so, always... <laughs> so the question for season three is, if true governmental shifts could be made on how the world views art and artists, what would that look like to you? And repeat it one more time. Yeah, of course. If true governmental shifts could be made to how the world views art and artists, what would that look like to you? This is crazy because like you said, I mean, I, for the viewers at home, don't touch that remote, but I haven't, I never, I hadn't heard that question before, but I just, I'm a big quote guy. Oh, so amazing. I just, Pull out a quote. <laughs> I just put down this quote. It's from JFK. So oh. he's part of the government. Shout out Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the quote is from John F. Kennedy. Like I said, I look forward to an America, which will reward achievement in the arts as we reward achievement in business or statecraft. I look forward to an America which will steadily raise the standards of artistic accomplishment and which will steadily enlarge cultural opportunities for all of our citizens. Mm. And I look forward to an America which commands respect throughout the world, not only for its strength, but for its civilization as well. (sighs) I love that. I don't yeah. know a hundred percent if I agree with JFK as like across <laughs> the board, but that is a fantastic sentiment. It was astonishing to come across that quote and I, I do really like it too, but what from that do you like? I mean, honestly, just the fact that like a person higher in the political sphere is honestly just talking about art and like in that way. Did he say that when he was president? I guess we can, we can fact check that. It says speech at Amherst in 1963. So yeah. So he was killed in 63. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So he would have been pres. Yeah. So, okay. Um, president. That feels foreign to have had a president say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. So I'm very like, I remove myself from the news for sure. Mm. But, uh, um, good boundary. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's one of those things I feel like I wouldn't even know where to start because my mind goes to like the bare minimum, which is like acknowledgement. Because right. I feel like you don't even see like a government, you know, acknowledging the acknowledgement of art and artists. But honestly, it, it's kind of like, I feel like it's putting a, a triangle into a square hole. Like there's not a lot of room for the government to make shifts towards art because it just doesn't align with what the government's processes and systems are i definitely see that i feel like we've lost that not necessarily like the american government because i don't know if it was ever a high priority but just in terms of like monarchy is used to sponsor artists and well yeah that's i mean like the thing when i think about what you said about that like people sponsoring artists is i feel like i don't know if this is right but i picture like the political powers like commissioning a piece for their palace right you know right but like is that what we want artists to be getting recognized for like i don't know because i guess that's part of my question yeah yeah they're that their quote-unquote creative brief may not be what that artist actually wants to say it's like probably they're almost being forced to like build a statue of this person that's the ruler or whatever so i think it's I think it's a triangle and a square hole. Yeah, I definitely can see that. <laughs> Thank you for um, being our first to, to take that one on. Yeah. I know it's a little hefty, but I've definitely just been thinking like, what is the role of like governing bodies in art and what is the responsibility of society as a whole um, to art and artists? So, And like my thought goes to like, I'm very like... Per- I try to move forward. Like I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't try to like dwell at all. Like if the government doesn't want to support my mm-hmm. art, let me find out a way to do what I want to do with the art. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I definitely don't depend on like the government to provide me <laughs> happiness or freedom artistically. Like yeah, they do their thing. I'm trying to do my own thing. Like I'm, I'm focused on that. Like I external, I try, I try to not, think about external pressures, external forces. I just try to get what I can get done. And some things maybe like they are controlling stuff, but like I, I just, I can only do what I can do. I agree. I agree. And I feel like, um, kind of when I was forming this question, I was thinking about like, we're on a planet that (laughs) where we're in a rock on a rock in a, in space. And, my main objectives are to enjoy life Mm -hmm. and um create and to help other people create and enjoy life and um uh, why is that so damn hard (laughs) why have we made it so damn hard i mean there's there's rules to the games yeah that we operate in and the hard truth is we operate in like ultra capitalism and that's like exactly you know we're dealt the hand we're we're kind of dealt and we make make our lives as happy as we can yeah and like getting towards our happiness doesn't have to be like super hedonistic like it can be like what will make me fulfilled is like putting pressure on the government for some people yeah um i definitely feel that even though it may not mean they're smiling laughing while they do it Mm. but like it's kind of nasty work yeah you control what you do to fulfill yourself yeah and like what you feel strongly to do or take part in like that's everyone's individual decision too i agree 
Well, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, tell people where to find you, anything, um, any shout outs you need. Yeah. Like, take your time. So my IG is Huddleberry Finn. I'm surprised. <laughs> I usually have to like clarify, like that's not my name, but um, that's my Instagram is Huddleberry Finn. Um, at here's to you for the brand. I'm like, we talked about, I'm a one man show over here. So like. I think as I get more things done and like caught up on the clothes making, I'll be posting more and like putting stuff out there. So um, you can also subscribe to my Here's to You newsletter, which I release every Monday. Oh, shit. Today's Sunday. I almost got freaked out for a second. <laughs> You're like, oh, um, <laughs> But I'll, like, I'll give behind the scenes of like what I'm making or what I'm working on with the brand. But I'll, like if it's a slow week and I'm just working on a vest the whole week or whatever, I'll put in like a little like how I feel like demotivated because I've been working on this all week, but I haven't essentially accomplished the goal. Gotcha. Um, so that's what like last week's was, was like you putting in a lot of work, but you don't feel accomplishment, but like you just got to keep moving forward. So like, yeah, the newsletter is a little like check in, check in. That's yeah. nice. It's good to have check in with yourself and check in with others. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you can catch HUD tonight at uh, apartment party um you can dm at ap studio bk to find out how to attend um and we're super excited to see what you have to present thank you um, so Very thank excited. you so much for being here yeah have a good yeah. one y'all bye ap studio files ap studio files can be found on all streaming platforms follow us on instagram and tiktok at ap studio bk Message us for info regarding how to attend our monthly apartment party. AP Studio Files is hosted by Miller Pike with technical production by Artie Kapischke, photography by Tucker W. Mitchell, and research by H. Connolly with music by Fab, the duo.